In the Christmas season that just passed, I chose to put our reflections for that season under a bit of an umbrella or a banner. Um, I, I drew attention to one aspect of the wonderful truth of Jesus Christ coming into the world, and that is that he came to bring peace. The angels told the shepherds that he'd come to bring peace on earth. So we thought about that in our Advent service. Uh, we thought about it again on the first Sunday of December. Uh, sorry, in, on the first Sunday of December. We thought about it again at our Carols by Candlelight when so many guests uh, came and joined us. You might remember how we thought about this. We thought about the various broken relationships in our world. Uh, humanity as a whole seems to be in some sort of difficult relationship as though we're at war with our planet. We're at war with each other, whether that's in global conflicts or in our families and relationships. And in many cases, we can't even find peace with ourselves. As we reflected on all of these broken relationships, we said that they're a natural consequence of one key relationship that's broken, namely our relationship with God. As I spoke at those Christmas services, I pointed people to Jesus Christ. He has come to restore peace to all of our relationships by reconciling us to God. He did so by his death on the cross. And this morning, as we prepare to come to this table in a few moments, I want to think with you about this glorious truth. Jesus Christ suffered and died to reconcile us to God. But before we think about how Jesus achieved that reconciliation, I want you to think with me for a moment about the nature of that reconciliation, because it's not quite like two friends coming back together. It's a little bit different. John Piper puts it well when he says, the reconciliation that needs to happen between sinful man and God goes both ways. Our attitude toward God must be changed from defiance to faith, and God's attitude must be changed from wrath to mercy. But the two are not the same. I need God's help to change, but he doesn't need mine. My change will have to come from outside of me, but God's change originates in his own nature. Actually, when we start to think about it, we realize that God choosing to reconcile us to him, that doesn't require any change in God. The change from wrath to mercy on God's part is actually God's planned action. In his grace, he's always intended to stop being against me and to start being for me. In Romans 5, Paul talks about the peace that we find in Jesus Christ. So far in his great letter, he's shown us that Jews and Gentiles alike have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have a look 
back to chapter 3 and verse 24. Paul goes there, goes on to say there that all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came to us through Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So we're justified freely by his grace and this is something that has to be received by faith. Paul is laying down the great doctrine of salvation. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. In the passage we've read this morning, Paul explains how we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And he relates it all to the cross of Jesus. Have a look. Chapter 5, verse 6. You see, Paul says, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice very quickly a progression in these verses. Paul begins in verse 6 by talking about a time when we were still powerless. By the time he gets to verse 8, he goes further and he talks about a time while we were still sinners and Christ died for us. In verse 10, he brings his idea and his argument to its logical terminus. If we're helpless against evil, as in verse 6, and sinners, as in verse 8, then, as in verse 10, there is a time when we were still God's enemies. We're sinners in open rebellion against the holy God, and sinful people are by nature God's enemies. We must be reconciled to God. We're talking here about how God has reconciled us to himself by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The all-important word here is that it happens while we were enemies. That's when we were reconciled. While we were enemies. In other words, the, the first move isn't ours. The change that takes place to facilitate our reconciliation isn't ours. We were still enemies, but God in his grace moved toward us. I'm going to slow down here for a second. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not God's enemy. I don't feel any conscious hostility to God. I know that British culture has been moving further away from Christianity and the God at the heart of Christian faith. But I feel respectful toward God and I, and I wish other people would too. Friends, that kind of respectful posture toward God is not enough 
Why is that? It's because he is our creator and we owe him our very lives. He is our master and we owe him our allegiance. He is our father who loves us. If we don't love him in return, we're out of step with who we are created to be. Friends, your hostility to God may not be an outright rejection of God. It might not feel that way to you. It might be that it takes the form rather of a, of a quiet unwillingness to submit to God and his rule. Or of a cold indifference, I'm going to get on with my life as if God doesn't exist. Later in this same letter, Paul describes this living without God as living by the flesh. He says, chapter 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Do you see it now? If we are not reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, then we remain God's enemies. And it's while we are in that state, it's while we were still sinners, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be born as a peasant in Bethlehem, to live among us, so that he could go one day to a cross on Calvary. He did all of this to reconcile us to him. Let me spell out for just the last couple of moments what all of this means. It means that when I'm asking you to respond to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died to reconcile you to God. I'm not simply asking you to change your attitude toward God. I'm asking you rather to recognize everything that God has already done in Jesus Christ to reconcile himself to you. He took the step that we couldn't take. He sent Christ to die in our place. The decisive reconciliation happens not when we warmed up to God and started to love him. No. It's while we're his enemies. While we're his enemies, he moves toward us to reconcile us to him. Reconciliation from our side is simply to receive what God has already done and what he offers us in Jesus Christ. It's a an infinitely valuable gift. In my preparations this week, I came across a, a lovely, fulsome account of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, something that helped me to celebrate this beautiful gift. This paragraph, uh, I, I doubt that many of us will be familiar with it. It's tucked away in a lesser known of the Reformed Confessions, the Second Helvetic Confession. It helps us to savor this infinitely valuable gift when it says this. By his passion and death, 
and by all those things which he did and suffered for our sakes from the time of his coming in the flesh. Our Lord reconciled his heavenly Father to all the faithful, purged their sin, spoiled death, broken sunder condemnation and hell, and by his resurrection from the dead, brought again and restored life and immortality. Did you hear it? He's broken condemnation and hell. He has spoiled death. If you know anyone else who can do that for you, I wish you well. Go with that person. I know only Jesus Christ who can destroy death and offer you life in the face of it. Praise God for the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Praise God that Jesus suffered and died to reconcile us to God.